you certainly have the victory in Christ. Go to James chapter 5 again. James chapter 5. I'm going to kind of repeat myself. They say repetition is the key to learning, right? <clears throat> so, um, I was thinking about this. Uh, what I was going to preach tonight and I keep going back to this, so I decided I'm going to do it anyway, even though I went through it. I went through it rather quickly um, in Sunday school the other morning, but I've added to it. It was too long then, so I've added to it, so it'll be shorter tonight, right? Well, it will be because I'm not doing all of it. So, Anyway, uh, and that is the subject of prayer. In James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, the Bible says, Confess your faults. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained not in the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And the title of this was Prayer with Force, or Prayer with Power. And we talked about how, of course, the effectual fervent is one word, and this I did go over this, so I'm just going to re, just to rehearse it a little bit. It's one word, and it's the word energo, so it's praying with energy or activity. The word availeth is a similar word, means to be a force, to be able, or can. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. So that's the idea with can there. So, uh, and, and again, he uses the word earnestly again in verse 17, so there's a devil emphasis. And uh, so, you know, prayer is probably, uh, I shouldn't say probably, I think it's one of the most important aspects of the church. For, um, for effectiveness in the ministry, uh, there needs to be prayer. You know, see, Charles Spurgeon said his effectiveness was... was um, made by the prayers of his people. Uh, I, I think I've shared this story before with you about several college students that went to London to, on, a, on, a, uh, on a tour to see the sites of London, but one of the things they wanted to see before they left London was the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Charles Spurgeon preached. So they go early because if you wanted a seat there, you had to be there early. I mean really early. Because often it was overflowing and people were sitting outside. So they went real early, a couple hours before the service was even scheduled to start. And they were waiting around there. And some, here, this guy came along and, and uh, again, unlocked the door. And he said, uh, would you like me to show you around the place? And they said, yeah, that'd be great. So he showed them around the place. And then he was like, he said, would you like to see the, the heating, the, the place that the, the heats this place? Well, they weren't real interested in the heating room, but... Then not wanting to offend their, their hosts, they, they, they agreed to see it. So he takes them down to the basement and opens a door, and there's this large room and 300 men there kneeling in prayer. So this was before. These men came early and met there for prayer uh, for the services that day. And he says, this is, this is, this is the, the success of this place right here. Um, so there is, there is power in prayer. Uh, we see that illustrated for us over and over in the Bible. Uh, it requires a sanctification. You know, a, a, our prayers need to be a righteous. It talks about the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, of course, prayer is, is to struggle against the flesh. We have to put a, put down self. Self does not like to pray. It is work. 
And, uh, and so those are the things that, that we talked about. And, uh, and, of course, we have to pray according to God's will. As Elijah did here, he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years. Now, that wouldn't be a pleasant thing to do and be known as the guy that prayed for three and a half years that it wouldn't rain. Uh, everybody would hate you for it. But, uh, but that's what he did, because uh, that was the will of God, to bring chastening upon the nation of Israel. Uh, so, so our prayers have to be according to God's will, not according to what you know, people want. You know, people want. Sometimes people want things that aren't right. And they may ask you to pray for them. But you shouldn't pray for them as they want them if it's not right. You should pray that they seek to do right and change their hearts and their minds to do what God says and not what they want. Uh, sometimes prayer is an excuse, used as, as an excuse uh, to not do the right thing. And, um, you know, self-will can get in the way of that. So, and then I moved on to... to um, uh, some things to pray for, and that's what I want to spend a little more time there tonight. I did go over these briefly, just kind of quickly that Sunday morning because I was running out of time and trying to cram it all in. And uh, But anyway, some things to pray for. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, the Bible gives us a list of things that we ought to pray for. Uh, and he says, and I exhort therefore that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings are for all that are in authority that may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So we are to pray. We're, by the way, again, exhorts us here to pray and make supplications. The word supplication is kind of along the same line as effectual fervent. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, a prayer of that moves you, that's got energy and activity to it, you know, a seriousness. Um, and, and so, you know, he said the, these things ought to be made for all men. And then he gives some specifics. Uh, those in authority over us, for kings and for all that are in authority. Uh, so kings would refer to government, uh, would be our government leaders. We ought to pray for our government. Pray that they would do right. Pray that they'd be, repent of their sin and get right with God. Uh, pray that they'd honor the laws of our land that are based on Bible principles. Uh, these are the things we need to pray for and pray that our leaders would do what was right. They'd turn from their wicked ways and repent. Of course, that's what Second Chronicles 7.14 was really about. That you know, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and, and turn from the wicked ways, seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then would I heal their land. Uh, that was that was given to uh, Solomon, of course, a promise from God. So, uh, we do need to pray for our government, for our, our leaders. Uh, of course, it would also refer to uh, church leaders, uh, your pastor, your pastor needs your prayers, Sunday school teachers, deacons, uh, those involved in music ministry. You know, music is a ministry. It can encourage us and, 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 and prepare our hearts to receive the word. You know, prayer is something that ought to be done for church. You know, we, we see an example of this in Acts chapter 12, you remember when uh, Herod had killed James with a sword, and he saw that it pleased the Jews, so he, he uh, proceeded further to take Peter. And, and, and verse 4 says, And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quatorians of soldiers to keep him, tending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So he was well guarded, 
He didn't think there was any chance that anybody would ever be able to, there'd be no jail breaks with this, you know, because he was four corridorians of soldiers, I believe it was 16. Anyway, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but, but, I like some of the buts in scripture, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And of course, we know the rest of the story. That night, the angel of the Lord appeared and, and loosed off his chains and lawed those soldiers into a real deep sleep and opened the doors and the gates and led Peter out and he was free. Uh, and so, so here we find, you know, Peter was the pastor and he was, he was, the, the church prayed for him. Paul uh, wrote to the churches and said, Brethren, pray for us. Uh, pray for missionaries. Pray for the walk with the Lord. You know, missionaries are dependent upon our prayers, not just our finances. Our finances will get them to the field, but it's our prayers that will help them and strengthen them in their ministries. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, where he says, but uh, well, I'm going to start at verse 9. He says, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So he says, Ye helping together by prayer for us. He said, you, you Corinthians believers were helping us. We were in a dire situation. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. You know, we don't know exactly what Peter, uh, uh, Paul is referring to here, what, what, what situation, you know, of course, he was in many situations that were life-threatening, shipwrecked, you know, beaten to stripes 39 times, uh, 40, 40 times save one. Uh, you know, all those things that he could have been, were life-threatening. There were many situations in but, but here he mentions, I had the sentence of death in ourselves, he said. And you helped together with us. Uh, you were helpers together by prayer. And, and we can help our missionaries by praying for them. By praying them. Uh, in Ephesians 6, 18-19. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, he says, now Paul is a missionary. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, missionaries, we need to pray for them, for their walk with the Lord, and pray that the Lord would give them utterance. That word utterance means skill in speaking. You know, think about being in a foreign country, there's a foreign language, and you have to learn to talk like they do. And, uh, and I'll give you an illustration. I remember when I was in going to Calvary Baptist Church in Huntington a few years ago. And there was a guy there. Uh, Hans Stein was his last name. I can't remember his first name. Anyway, uh, we, went to, we went to public school with him and a couple of his brothers. Anyway, he went on a mission trip to Australia from the church. And... Uh, he got sick on the way over, you know, like a stomach bug. And, and so when he got there, he said, he told them that he was a little under the weather. And the missionary said, whatever you do, don't say that. Because here, to be under the weather means you're drunk. You're on a hangover. So you, so you have to be skilled 
in, and have a knowledge of the culture and how things that they may they say to know what to say and what not to say. Because you can say the wrong thing. You know, you stick your foot in your mouth real bad, uh, real quick. Um, you know, even 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 in our country, there are different cultures. Now, if we would say in Pennsylvania that somebody's ornery, now, I don't know about how what it is in the South. You, you can help me here. Does that mean they're mean or mischievous? Huh? Mischievous. Okay. In Maine, it means to be mean. They thought it was, you know, because because my wife said to one of the guys, he's just kind of ornery. And they looked at her like, and she said, and then they explained, you know, no, to, to us that means you're mean, you're nasty. Well, she didn't mean that, you know, but but so so even even in in this country, you have you know people people. They have different accents. They talk different. You know, things they say are different. So come, imagine a, a, a missionary in a foreign country. You, got, you have to have wis, wisdom and witness and dealing with the culture that you speak things that are right. Uh, so, you know, it's something we need to pray for for our missionaries. Uh, so these are some things we pray for, those in authority over us. Uh, of course, we ought to pray for the salvation loss. It's always God's will to save the lost. Always. Second Peter three nine says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as to some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." You'll never be praying against God's will for somebody to get saved, because it's God's will for every person to get saved, even His enemies, because after all, we were His enemies. Even his enemies, even your enemies. You know, Jesus said to those, to those that crucified, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do." It was his desire that they got saved. And there may be some of those after the crucifixion and the resurrection that got saved. The Bible says that many of the priests believed and were at it. So, so it's always right. And when Paul says here in in Timothy to pray for all men, I think that's a particular he's praying for the lost, and of course. I'm sure we ought to have lost people that we are praying for in particular. Uh, thirdly, pray for family, you know, immediate family, uh, church family. Uh, we have to pray for our family and our, our children and our, you know, all those of immediate family. And of course, we ought to, we ought to pray for our church family. You know, James there says in James 5 that you're to, let me get there again. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another, one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now the word healed here is not talking about physical sickness. The word healed means to make whole, that is from errors and sins, to bring about one's salvation. That's, that's, that's the, the definition of that word healed. And it's used in other places in the Bible in this context. For example, Matthew 13, 15. This people's heart is wax grows, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. So, so the idea here is that they had come to the full assurance of salvation. They've been healed from their errors. In fact, that's the context of this chapter. If you notice the the last 
uh, verse 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know, when a person starts going in error, they're headed to a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins. Unless they convert. That means they get turned around. That's what convert means, turn around. You know, we've seen people leave here. And they just go, just go into sin more and more and more. You know, sometimes, you know, we've, we've been through, you and I went through, through the gospel with a, a couple and, and they turned away. And now I'm not interested. You know. Uh, you know, and so if you can convert someone from the air of their way, you will save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. You will protect them from a multitude of sins going into the path of destruction. Because sin does, the wage of sin is still death. It leads to destruction. It's used also over in 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, Who, in a, who his own self bear our sins in his own body and tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now, Pentecostals like to take that phrase, that last phrase there, and see there's healing, and say there's healing, physical healing in the atonement. I'm not sure why they die, if that is the case, but no, it's talking about being healed from our sins, our iniquities. Uh, being made whole uh, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we need to pray one for another that we may be healed. Uh, after all, you know, Galatians 6.10 says, as we, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. So it would be good to, do, to pray for all men. He says that again in 1 Timothy 2. But then he says, especially unto them who are the household of faith. So especially for those of your church family. You ought to do good. It's always good to pray for one another. And so we need to pray one for another. Uh, we need to pray for laborers for the harvest. Luke chapter 10 verse 2 says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest, he send forth laborers into his harvest. And so we need to be praying that the Lord would send laborers into his harvest. You know, the missionary numbers are shrinking coming from this country. They're not getting greater. They're shrinking. Uh, it's not that there's not money available. It's that there's not people going. And we need to pray for laborers. There's, there's many multitudes of independent Baptist churches without pastors. Now, I grant it, some of them don't want a pastor. Uh, and it's not likely they'll get one. They want a servant. That's all they want. A pastor is a servant, but he's not a slave. You know, he is to, to rule, but but they want somebody that they can tell what to do. And, you know, and they want to, they you know, deacons want to run the church or whatever, and, and they don't want any anyone authority over them. But But there are multitudes of churches without pastors in our country. Um, and so we need to pray for laborers to go into the harvest. Uh, you know, if you're praying for laborers, you'll more than likely be willing to witness to those across the street as well. And, and then we also need to pray for yourself. And I, 
this this one kind of struck me a little bit as I was thinking about this, but but I the more I study it, the more I'm convinced of it. Of course, Matthew six twelve says, "And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors." So we're to forgive, ask the Lord to forgive us for our sins, for we forgive those that have sinned or offended against us. Uh, and then it goes on and says, "And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." The word temptation there is a condition of things or mental state by which we are enticed to sin or lapse from faith and holiness. You know, the disciples were lulled into a mental state where they were where they all denied him, and 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 you know they were discouraged and despondent about the fact that Jesus told them and had to kind of correct them. Uh, not kind of, he did, point blank. You know, Peter, he had to tell Peter, put up your sword. Uh, shall I not drink of this cup? And so, you know, because of that, you know, they were, you know, they, and, and all that, they were lulled in this mental state where they all eventually denied him and forsook him. You know, sometimes it's easy to follow, allow hardships in life to drag us down into a state of bitterness and resentment. And that's what this really is all about when it says, lead us not into temptation. You know, in context here, we're supposed to forgive Ask God to forgive our sins. God won't forgive us our sins if we aren't willing to forgive others. That's what that prayer says. The model prayer. That's what he says. If we forgive not men our trust, their, their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. So if we hold bitterness and resentment in our hearts against somebody else and will not forgive somebody else, God will not forgive us. And that's the warning here. To lead us not in temptation. It's a plea, you might say, for the Lord to keep a hedge about us, to keep us from becoming resentful or bitter, or falling into that temptation to sin and thereby deny Him by our actions. Psalmist said in Psalm 61.1, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. For from the end of the earth will I cry to Thee. My heart is overwhelmed. You ever feel overwhelmed? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 26, 41, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, Peter, again, had a hard time with facing the death of the Savior. And can you imagine? Okay, so Peter cut the ear off of one of those that came to arrest Jesus. He wanted to fight. As naturally, all of us would have wanted to fight. But can you imagine then Fifty days later, fifty and a few days later, he's preaching to those same people, giving them the gospel, and and you know he's to tell the truth. He's to offer the the gospel, the good news of salvation, to these same people that arrested and crucified his Savior. He better not have any bitterness. And he, he is, but he is plain, of course, as Jesus was always plain with the children of Israel and with those he ministered to. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 and 23, he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And then verse 36, he says, 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. So he isn't leaving anyone out. He's saying, all of you Israelites, look, you need to know this. Be assured of this, that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So when they'd heard this, they were pricked and said unto Peter and the rest, the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And that's when he says, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Christ. So Peter, you know, Peter had to get over his resentment and bitterness against those that arrested Jesus. Did you ever have somebody you didn't like? Because you know you ought to witness to them. It's, it's a lot easier. It's easier to witness to people you like than somebody that's been nasty to you. But really, really, to be like our Lord, it shouldn't make any difference. We have to overcome the flesh. We have to not ask the Lord to protect us from this temptation, because it is a real temptation. But we need to pray for ourselves. You know, Jabez prayed for himself. First Chronicles 4.10 says, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me. Now, you might say, well, that sounds kind of selfish. Well, let's read the rest of it. And that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. Now, that's a prayer about himself. But he was sincere in that. He wanted to, he wanted God to keep him from evil and enlarge his coast. Now, to, to enlarge his coast means to enlarge my usefulness or my service to thee. That was his desire. So it wasn't a selfish motive. It was a motive so that he could glorify God and do greater service to God. But it was, he was asking God to, to, to bless him and protect him uh, that he would please him. And the Bible says, God granted him that which he requested. So yes, we do need to pray for ourselves. Pray for yourself. It's not selfish unless you just got this wish list thinking God's some kind of Santa Claus to pray for yourself. It's not, it's not selfish to pray and ask God to help you, to protect you. You know, we're not supposed to just have a wish list, but we do need to pray for ourselves. Uh, pray for those who mistreat us. Uh, Matthew 5, 44, Say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be of your children of your Father which is in heaven, and make the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. Sendeth rain on the just and the unjust alike. And of course here, in, in our context, Elias was praying for the nation of Israel that they would repent. You know, he was praying for God to judge them and chastise them so that they would repent. It was for their good, but they were the ones that were, were, were mistreating him. And of course, the word there, despitefully use you, means to insult, to accuse falsely or threaten. So we need to pray for those who mistreat us. It's hard to have an enemy that you're praying for. Because it'll change your view of that person if you pray for them. It's hard to keep them as an enemy. They may still view you as an enemy. 
but it'll change your view of that person. And then we need to pray for the Lord's coming. Uh, the Bible says to watch and pray. Uh, Matthew 26, 41. Oh, to watch means to give us strict attention to, to be cautious, to be active, to take heed lest through remissness and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one, or be let, lest one be led to forsake. So the idea here is, the idea of watch is to not be careless, not be slothful, that is lazy in our everyday living for the Lord. So be, the watching doesn't mean that we're just sitting here and waiting and looking for Him. No, it means we're, we're, we're faithful, we know He's coming, and we're faithfully serving Him. Uh, and you know, that's the idea of 1 John 3, 3, where it talks about you know, His coming in, in verses 1 and 2, and then it says, And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself even as he is pure. As you know, I said there Sunday, somebody said, "quote The best place to pray for potatoes is on the end of a, on the end of a hoe handle." Unquote. And the idea there is, look, if you're looking for his coming, you should there should be a preparing. There should be a preparing, a preparing of our own heart, our own life. You know, striving to please him. After all, he says in Revelation twenty-two, the last book of the Bible, close to the end of that book, it says in verse twelve, "Behold, I come quickly." My reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. Not his watch, but his work. So the idea of watching is we're, it's not we're sitting around watching and just, just looking like we're, we're watching the birds. As some people watch birds, you know, or watch animals. No, we're, at, we're active. We're busy serving the Lord. We're active in his service. And so, these are some things, some specific things we ought to pray for. We ought to make ourselves a list. And then I want to notice some examples of prayer in the Bible. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8, 9, and 10, the Bible says, And children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. So here you have the Philistines invading the land. This was before King Saul, in the days of Samuel. And the Philistines, of course, you know, have invaded, continually invading the land, the land year by year. And so they come into the land, and, and the children of Israel uh, go to Samuel and said, Cease not to cry in the Lord for us. And so Samuel cries unto the Lord. He gives us, they offer the sucking lamb, and he cries unto the Lord. And, and the Bible says that when the, as, the, as the Philistines drew near to battle, it doesn't look good, does it? You know, oftentimes God delivers us at the last, what we think is the last moment. And many times, I don't know if you're like me, but in that last moment, we tend to give up hope. But we shouldn't. But the last moment, then it says, the Lord, the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day and upon the Philistines and discomfited them. I mean, he created chaos in the army of the Philistines and they were smitten for Israel. 
So God here, this was in response to Samuel's prayer for the, for the nation of Israel. We have also an example of, of the widow's son. Remember the widow at Zarephath that Elijah uh, stayed with. And you know she had the, 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 the barrel of meal that was almost empty and the, the cruise of oil was almost empty and it stayed for many days. And, and then, then her son dies. And she cries to Elijah and says, uh, and so Elijah, the Bible says, Elijah, 1 Kings 17, 21 and 22 says, Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came again into him again and he revived. See, God heard the voice of Elijah, the prayer of Elijah, and the child revived. During the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, Sennacherib and the Assyrians besieged Jerusalem. They had already defeated Lachish, which was a fairly fortified city. So they sought to take Jerusalem as well, and they besieged it and began to boast on the walls around the outside the perimeter of the city to the people on the wall. And in 2 Kings 19, 14-16, the Bible says that Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, Thou art the God, even Thou alone. Of all kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. And of course, the Lord sent Isaiah to Hezekiah with a message. Basically tell him, don't worry about Sennacherib. I'm going to put a hook in his mouth. And he's going to return to his own land. And that night, the angel of the Lord slew 185,000 Assyrians. They were all dead corpse. And Sennacherib returned to his own land. And while he was worshipping in his own the house of his gods, his own sons kill him. You know, Sennacherib had boasted himself against God, the God of Israel. Hezekiah put his trust and his confidence and pleaded with the God of Israel. God intervened. See, all these are examples, and of course, we could go, we could, we could spend all evening looking at examples in the Bible, illustrations where God's people cried in the Lord, and He heard them. He heard them. Jeremiah thirty-three three. We all know that verse. Call on me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Psalm thirty-four and verse six says, "This poor man." Now, that didn't mean he didn't have much in his wallet. That's not what that poor means there. It means lowly or needy. He was a needy man. David was a needy man. He needed God. He needed God's help continually, just as we do. He said, this poor man, this needy man cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now, we often think of David as a mighty warrior. You know, he said, I'm a needy man. I need God. I need God. 
you know, you and I are no match for the wiles of the devil and the pressures of this world. Well, I'm tough. Well, yeah, we'll see how tough you are. No, we need the Lord. We need the power of God. We need God's help. And so we need to cry unto the Lord. We need to seek Him daily. You know, you know, the Bible doesn't say to preach without ceasing. doesn't pray to sing without ceasing. doesn't say to witness without ceasing. But it does say to pray without ceasing. You know, prayer de- demonstrates a dependence upon God. And God loves to hear from His people. God loves to hear. God loves to meet the needs of His people. But if we don't think we need it, He isn't going to force it on us. He isn't just going to throw it at us. No. We need to be like the psalmist here says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. You know, I'm a do-it-yourselfer through and through, but I need the Lord. I need the Lord's help. We need the Lord. We need to put our dependence upon Him. And prayer demonstrates that dependence upon Him. And so, we need to be people of prayer. If we want God to work in our lives, in our church, uh, we need to be people of prayer. That seek the face of God. That pray earnestly. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man faileth much. There is force. There is power there ineffectual, fervent prayers. My God help us to be people of prayer.